Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, supported by product partner 40 Thieves Nut Butters. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to our first guest who specializes in public relations, Kelly Bennett. Kelly is the former deputy chair of the Communication Council's PR, Experiential and Social Media Committee, and in 2018 was inducted as a fellow of the Public Relations Institute of New Zealand. Since 2013, he's been founder and managing director of one of New Zealand's leading corporate communications firms, OnePlus One. Kelly started off studying philosophy and art history, so the obvious next step, given the paucity of jobs available for graduates like that, was to then study journalism, an industry he's been involved in either directly or indirectly ever since. He worked as comms manager at local icon DB Breweries in the 90s, and in the early 2000s, he spent several years working in the UK, notably at the Royal Bank of Scotland, where he was Group Marketing Communications Manager. In 2006, he returned to New Zealand to grow local ad agency TBWA's PR offering, which he then rebranded to Eleven. The business is still a strong presence on both sides of the Tasman. Following this success, he then chose to take the brave leap of founding his own PR consultancy, which brings us to today. OnePlus One works behind the scene for many well-known organisations, including Oceania Healthcare, NIB, Convita, Stuff, Tourism New Zealand, and even an amazing software business called Code HQ, to name just a few. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. So, Kelly, let's let's start by talking about PR in general. What is it? Who needs it? Why would they do it? Well, if you strip away all the research, all the fancy words, the best description I've come up with to define what PR is is as follows. I'm paraphrasing, but the old... The old saying goes, if, if advertising is what you say about yourself, public relations is what others say about you. Um, when we are talking with clients and encouraging them to invest in PR, we, we talk about the fact it's a pretty broad church. There are lots of different uh, work streams that make up public relations, lots of different disciplines, lots of different skill sets that you need. But really, at the end of the day, it's just about trying to manage the way in which others see you through your actions, your words, your gestures, and your corporate positioning. So, so one of the differences between PR and other disciplines like say, advertising is that the outcome of advertising you, you, is more certain. You know what that's going to look like. You know what you're paying for. Whereas with PR, there's a bit more um, nuance in that, in, in that you have to earn the right to be talked about. So how, how should people think about PR and how, how should they think about you know, where, where it might be useful to them? It's a good question. If you were to pick up the print edition of the New Zealand Herald, as I do every morning, it's my job. I would say that 95% of what you read mm-hmm. has been filtered through the lens of some sort of comms process. That could be a really heavily stacked government relations department with hundreds of PR minions running around, Christ knows doing what, but ostensibly trying to control the narrative mm. about that government agency. It could be, uh, as it was the case for me, I shall I shall refrain from mentioning the client, but there was a big piece in the supplement in the business pages this morning concerning one of our clients, uh, a, a not so flattering piece, authored by 
uh, a business desk journalist. Obviously, that's a new development, the, the, the mishmash of business desk and Herald commentary mm, that's mm. playing out. Uh, PR is happening all around you at any given time of the day. Uh, it's being orchestrated by people that you might not know, have heard of or seen, but it is something that is uh, almost ubiquitous in our daily lives. In the same way that when you wake up, the old saying about how you might be exposed to a couple of thousand ad messages. Mm. The same applies for public relations. It's just a little less obvious. So for a business wanting a profile in the media, if 95% of things go through some sort of comms filter, how hard is it for them to do it themselves? Well, it's very hard to do it yourself. That's why businesses like mine exist. Uh, having said that, it's also increasingly hard to find a way to ingratiate brands into mainstream media commentary because there are so many people on the PR side of the fence lobbying mm. to say, pick us, we're interesting, we're new, we're shiny, we have something to say that your readers should um, should know about. So, so there's a tsunami of messaging being thrown at business journalists or journalists of all um, persuasions, and they only have so many hours in a day, yep. and that's where relationships come into uh, the fold and are really valuable so you can commoditize those relationships it doesn't always work of course because if you're partnering with a brand or business th fundamentally they have to have something of interest to say mm. but then traditionally the PR practitioner might take that or find it or polish it package it up and then present it to the journalist hopefully a sympathetic journalist that can say yes we'll have a look at that uh, and we'll consider running it and then hey presto, it becomes part of the daily conversation, a water cooler conversation. And if you're doing it regularly enough, then those things over time help build a brand. What if they're not newsworthy? What if you have a client come to you with a story that they find really interesting, but you just don't think it's gonna capture public interest? Well, that, they might not be the client for us. Um, then, then if you don't really have anything sufficiently engaging or arresting to say, then mm. you might think of other ways in which to, to use that. It might be something that you could polish up and present on your what we call owned channels, but it just might be in the um, light of day. It just doesn't become newsworthy and that's okay. So, so the media industry is changing every day. Mm. Um, how does that impact a business like yours? Yes, you're right. It is changing every day and we've seen lots of fragmentation take place in the fourth estate domestically and around the world. All news organisations are under pressure. Of course, you know this better than most, having spent time working at stuff. Mm. Um, so that does present challenges for us. I think if you were to look at outputs for a firm like ours and the, uh, the percent in percentage terms, what would earned media, the press coverage that we've generated for clients look like this year versus five years ago, it would be smaller. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it means that what success looks like for clients has changed, it certainly wouldn't be the volume of coverage that mm. you might once have, have promised with confidence. Mm. It's hard to generate that these days. There are fewer journalists. Journalists are obviously time poor. Yeah. The companies that own them are under lots of financial pressure so it just it's it's a harder sell just across the board and that's not unique to our firm that's for all PR firms and frankly for in-house comms units or, or, or teams as well so that part of what we do is changing but conversely we've seen um, PR firms step up their competencies in social mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. in content creation 
um, which is something that, that OnePlus One is doing, has been doing for many years. So it kind of evens out. The, 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 the appetite for a good story well told is one thing that haven't, hasn't changed. So just the, the ways in which we do that have. have. So you mentioned earlier um, in-house teams and you yourself have worked in-house at different businesses and of course now at PR agencies. Mm -hmm. So what should a client be thinking about when they're thinking about potentially getting involved in PR um, if they're looking at building a team in-house or using an outsourced partner? What mm -hmm. are the, the sort of dimensions of that decision? I see. Uh, good question. If you're, if you're thinking of setting up a comms function inside your own business, right now mm. I would caution against that because uh, it is incredibly hard to find talent across the board, whether it's agencies or for, or for um, in-house roles. So that's, that's the first consideration. Um, the second consideration is if you look, depends on what level or how big the team is, obviously mm. the large banks and some of the larger um, NZX companies will all have their own in-house teams and they'll have dedicated talented people looking after investor relations, community-based uh, commitments the company might have, the, the, the interface between media and, and the company itself. So sometimes those, those in-house teams could be six, even 16 strong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, there might be an argument to, to have a relationship with a PR firm outside of those people working on your business five days a week, in which case the firms involved are there to provide really specialist skills that the in-house team might not have, uh, overflow work, just depends on the organisation um, and it depends on personal preference for the person that you know, ultimately looks after the PR discipline. So how would someone best find the partner with the right kind of skills if they're starting from scratch? For an in-house job or for, a, for, a, for an agency partnership? Looking for an agency partnership. I think culture is always the really important fit. Mm. There isn't really, I would, I would humbly suggest, having been doing this a long time, there isn't really a hell of a lot of difference between ideological attitudes towards the practice of public relations, right. even though some brands might say they do things incredibly differently. Really no different uh, to, to the wealth of advertising options that are available for, for people looking to partner with agencies. Uh, so, so it comes down to culture, chemis chemistry. Do you trust the people that are working for you? Mm. Do they get your brand and business? Do you feel that they're going to go the extra mile for you? Would they, would they really prioritise the work that you're, you're paying them to do over others? So, so put all of that in a blender and get, you know, back yourself to make the right um, call that sits comfortably with you at the right time. But sometimes... Um, you know, th those those relationships develop over time mm. and you've got a body of work behind you that you can uh, re reference. You've done stuff together in terms of a partnership that you might be looking to create. So so often, in, in my experience, those relationships that have developed over the, over time are the ones that are, A, the most fun to keep nurturing and, and, and keep investing in and, and keep doing stuff from. Um, and also... You know, there's, there's always trust, so you've got trust underlying the output of the work. And it's quite a small town. I mean, you know, New Zealand is a small town. Sure so is. everyone knows everyone, right? Sure so you is. can pretty quickly find out if someone's good or not. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to do that, and, and that's where reputation comes into play. Um, you know, I, I feel in, in my small lane, I've been doing this for 
you know, a little over two decades now. Um, if it was really easy, anyone would set up a PR firm yep. and, um, and, and and in fact, there are a lot, there are a lot of people who do that. Uh, but I think over, over two decades, you've got a body of work and enough relationships. Hopefully you try not to piss people off along the way, do good work, um, have a bit of fun and make some money. And, and if you can look after those simple things, then everything else falls into place. So, so yeah, reputation is an important thing. Um, and we do live in a small town. I think the number, don't quote me on this, but I think the number of PR practitioners in this country might might be something like four or 5,000. So that's not a big right. pool. No. Right? Um, mm. That's people, um, you know, either connected or on the fringes of PRINS, the Public Relations Institute of New Zealand. So I think that's about the number, four or 5,000. It's not many, right? No. So... Um, yeah, that's surprisingly small, actually. Yeah. Um, okay, so... If you had to give someone um, some top tips when it came to PR activity, um, they were thinking about, is, is this story going to be newsworthy? Is it something I can get picked up by the media? Mm. What advice would you give them? First thing I'd say is stand back from your own willingness to, to see something become uh, front page news and interrogate it as if you were just Joe Blow. Why should Joe Blow care about your new company milestone or innovation or whatever it is and um, filter it through the lens of two guys just having a chat over a barbecue and 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 cross-reference what they might be saying about this thing that you seem to feel really passionate about and that you think the media will be interested in because uh, it's a really it's a it's a it's a tough ask nowadays to get stuff across the line mm. and it and it invariably has to be first fastest biggest best all of the things that at journalism school aspiring students are told constitute news. Uh, but remember, there's lots of, of people both in, inside um, companies and, and agencies saying, pick us, this is first, fast, biggest, best, yes, yeah. brightest. And, um, and also pick, pick, pick who it is that you're pitching your story to and think about each media organisation, the things that float their boat, mm. the time of day that you're pitching your story. It's not an exact science, but if you can weigh all of those things up, then you're going to optimise the probability of making something stick as opposed to throwing it at a wall and slowly falling off. What, what time of day? Oh, well, journalists are just like people, you and me, right? They go to the pub, they go and have lunch, yep. They, yep. they pull up stumps early, they're getting tired. Mm. The beginning of the week is invariably easier than at the tail end of the week, so it's just human nature. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and one of the scary things, one of the scary things for clients often is that a story might get picked up but be um, communicated in a way that they don't like. Mm. So how do you minimise the risk of that? Is that about the selection of you know the journalist you're pitching to or the or the publication? Well, I think there's a couple of things at play there. You you could find yourself, you know, we run crisis modules for clients uh, we do media training all the time for clients um, and those are those are done through the lens of scenarios applicable scenarios that a client might find themselves in at some stage right. where they need a firm like ours or any other really to to help them navigate their way through something unfortunate unsavory unpalatable mm. Mm. just awkward uh, that a journalist or, or media organisation might find interesting and um, 
that's not an easy place to be for anyone that's been through it. So this is this is the other side of PR. The there's there's proactively pitching good news, yep. and then there's controlling or trying to mitigate the outcome of negative news. Absolutely, absolutely, and that and that's not easy for any CEO or um, corporate exec who finds themselves um, in 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 the maelstrom mm. of something that is a unsettling, b has the potential to significantly impact a share price or people's perceptions of, of a company um, and you know obviously there's a long laundry list of things that that you could highlight as being the catalyst for that moment it could be something involving a rogue staff member who's who's stolen sums of money uh, it could be a, a faulty product something that's happened it's caused significant harm or injury to an individual who purchased the product. It could be a toxic spill if you're in the chemical game. There's a raft of things, more things than actually you'd, you'd, um, you'd appreciate. So when, when it happens, I've seen this many times, the first thing uh, that, unless, you, unless you've prepared for it, mm. the first thing that happens is that sort of rabbit in a headlight moment where the client or the individual um, thinks, shit, what's happened? how am I going to get out of this? And fielding calls from, from, from the media who have no interest in anything else other than serving the needs of their audience, mm -hmm. asking questions when perhaps you might not necessarily want to answer them mm -hmm. is challenging. But with the right external support and people to, to hold your hand through that process, knowing what to answer, what not to answer, how to reframe um, questions in a way that addresses issues that are being raised without giving too much away. It's not an easy feat, but it can be done. And like anything, if you're, if you're knee deep in a crisis, day one is the hardest, invariably the hardest. Tony Blair always used to talk about this, the, the news cycle. If you're in, um, in the throes of something that's causing, in his case, the government, uh, unnecessary and unwanted attention, the cycle, if it plays itself out, will last nine days. Right. So nine right. days from shitty headline mm, to mm. The, the media have gone on to the other thing. Yeah, okay. And um, so if you can see out that nine-day period, uh, then you're going to be okay. So do you get, have, have you had the call before from someone saying, hundred oh, percent, yeah, many so, times. So how, how does that look? They go right. This thing's happened. What do you do? Oh, then? you just got to pause. It's it's like when you're talking to a, a friend who's flustered. Something you know. I think I failed my exam. What are we going to do? Well, okay. So what happened? How was it? Why do you think that? You know, um, and you've just got to be a calming presence in the eye of you know potentially all this shitty stuff that's yeah. flaming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, you've got to think about the way in which. Others will see things. Come back to the comment I made earlier on about PRs. Often, what other people say about you. Mm -hmm. So, how would mm -hmm. how would your constituents or your community of interest think about this issue? And what do we need to do to make sure that people feel that you're doing everything you can to answer questions? You're being available, or or if you've done something wrong, you own it. You know the classic Maya culpa. Mm. Um, so we see that all the time here in New Zealand. You know, despite the the number of business journalists that there are out there 
every other week if you're looking for it, as I as I do because it's my game. You'll yeah. see stories about companies that have done something they wish they hadn't, or individuals who have been caught up in something or other. I find that fascinating. That's the other good thing I would say about our industry is well, public relations as a discipline. It it requires the best practitioners to be jack of all trades and masters of some. <laughs> so my shtick is public relations, and as you said in your intro, very flattering. I started off doing philosophy. Doesn't qualify you for anything except thinking, yeah, and yeah. maybe thinking with with a bit of purpose about issues and ethics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I applied, you know, journalism to that, and those I think were good building blocks for what I do. But I, I don't purport to be super awesome in one thing but I'm halfway decent in lots <laughs> yeah, that kind of gets right. me through or at least has in my in my career that's the Kiwi way isn't <laughs> it <laughs> hey um look looking back on that career um if you had to pick a few key um initiatives achievements projects you worked on that you're particularly proud of what would those be it's what I'm doing right now actually I'm very proud of having built a business from scratch that I still feel super passionate about and excited about uh so so that's that would be the first uh you know thing i'd offer up that i'm that i'm proud of um i was proud as as a sort of a little milestone i set a goal you know i was proud to go to khan and judge all the Mm. best work in the world Mm. as the new zealand representative uh at the international festival of creativity a few years back that would have been pretty tough it was tiring. It's a long way to go. Whatever. <laughs> First world problems. Yes, uh, it is a long way to go. But um, I don't think it was tiring. There was certainly a lot of work to to look at and review and critique before you even got on the plane. And I do remember very conscientiously thinking, "Oh, I'm going a bit too fast. I need to slow down and 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 do do justice to all of the these submissions." But actually, once you start, you realise. There's a lot of dross and there's a lot of opportunism in the in the submissions and you can you can wheedle them down pretty quickly. But the the, the sheer uh, the opportunity to rub shoulders with people from around the world and sort of my peer group that upper echelon at the time of of practitioners representing New Zealand that was a lovely thing to do. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I'm proud of having you know worked at a pretty high level overseas, so I. I I feel fortunate to have been able to bring some of those skills that I learned inside RBS, the Royal Bank of Scotland, for example, back to New Zealand. I'm proud of having launched a brand, even though I didn't own it, that's still sort of pretty pretty top top draw, top tier in, in the form of Eleven. Um, so yeah, I feel like I've had a pretty good pretty good career. There's lots to do. There's still lots to achieve. I'm still very ambitious ambitious for the future of, of my company. Um, and today even, you know, just onboarding this guy who I've been looking forward to having as part of our team and continuing to get smart, talented people around us and me and um, and growing something that can help New Zealand businesses. I'm really proud of that. I mean, hiring anyone right now is, a, you know, <laughs> yes. is an achievement, right? <laughs> well, we were talking about the labour shortage. That is, that is one of the biggest... Uh, challenges that I face that I think um, 
the industry faces and I can't see any sign of that abating in the short term. This this just talent freeze, it's this war on talent. It's it's supernaturally hard to find people and I don't know what it is. It must be, you know, back in the day you could assume that there would be a, a, a number X of people arriving in the country with mm-hmm. a transferable skill set that yep. you could look at and, 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 and interview. Those people haven't been coming and I think that there's just been a, a, a reticence for a lot of people to... To, to move from one agency to another or from one agency in-house. There's just not as much movement and it is incredibly debilitating, I have to say. Is, is, is PR as an industry one that students want to get into? I think so, yeah. Uh, the, the, the numbers that are doing the, for example, the AUT communications degree showed no sign of abating. I mm. think there's, you know, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. So there's more graduates every year. Um, I would... I, my gut fear would be that the number of journalism students is down. Yeah, that's a. Um, I wouldn't say it's a sunset industry, but it pos- possibly doesn't have the allure that it used to back mm. in the day. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, comms, yes, still an attractive proposition. Journalism, less so. Although, I mean, if my daughter, who's sixteen, going on seventeen, um, were to say um, that she was flirting with studying journalism, I'd, I'd be delighted I think it's a really noble profession some of my best friends are journalists and I think it's incredibly important now more so than ever you know in light of all of the misinformation that's coming out of social media platforms and we've seen this obviously down in Wellington with you know anti-vaxxing sentiment etc and where people are getting their single source of truth and it's not Facebook that's for sure it's it's an it's an interesting one though isn't it because often they'll follow the money you know, and, and the money is used to be in, in media in terms of, you know, for employees, whereas it's going becoming more, um, tech companies are becoming more a place where, you know, creative types and writers are, are migrating towards. Yeah, and I think that's a cyclical change too. You could say the same thing about advertising. You know, you and I n- know, uh, you know, that the, the allure of advertising was probably at its height back in the 80s <laughs> irritatingly before i arrived <laughs> yeah but 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 just you know the, the 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 canvas that ad execs had to paint with was mm. bigger mm-hmm. even though it was more limited yep. right so yep. the the chance to take client funds and produce a multi-million dollar television commercial that 90% of the country would see when you'd finished now yeah. that's that's impact yep. right yeah and i think that would have presented lots of um, exciting opportunities for people that were thinking about, well, what could I do with my skill set? So now it's a, it's a lot more fractured and, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I used to go and speak um, at Unitech and AUT. It's a little while since I've done that and I, I'd look out at the class that were about to graduate and my over... Do you want to know what my overwhelming impression was? What? I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Um... And look, you've worked you've worked with small companies, you've worked with big companies, you've worked inside small ones and inside big ones. What what do big companies know that small ones don't when it comes to public relations or the other way around? I think they know heaps. Uh, you know, in, any any large corporate pick spark, they will have the luxury of market research. They'll have smart external agencies looking into what people are saying about them and their peer group. 
they'll have smart brand strategists who will have identified you know consumer pathways and they just have so many more data points at their disposal that should mm. in theory help them do heaps more than your average SME. Obviously that doesn't always work though because I think they might get fixated on the wrong data sets or the wrong insights. Um, so so the, the, the odds are stacked in, in the favour of the large corporate every time. Having said that, brands are much more than just focus groups and, and fancy PowerPoint decks. Mm, mm. And, um, you know, brand loyalty and the emergence of cool brands, you know, you see that playing out all the time and ultimately that's down to just really cool products. So um, I found myself um, the other week relying on old journalism to make a choice about what I did with some of my discretionary spend. I read a review in the print edition of the New Zealand Herald by Jesse Mulligan, a restaurant review. Right. And uh, so that's, is that PR? It's a, it's a restaurant review. It's about this cool place called Melenta. I'm talking about it now. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's PR. They're not paying me to, but I, well, somehow, I was someone so intrigued by what someone said yes. about something yes. that I took an action to do that thing. So on Thursday, I'm off to, to Melenta restaurant, which is close to where I live in town. And I did that, not because of word of mouth, but mm. because of something I consumed. And in my somebody order. would have told Jesse Mulligan it would be a good idea to I, come to this great new restaurant. Well, I have to, I have to assume it was the restaurant itself. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's an example of how you build interest in brands. The choice to do something about it was mine, but, mm. but the good review optimised the probability, and then I'll happily hand over my money. Um, now, w will my experience at the restaurant be sufficiently um, awesome for me to go back. I'll have to wait and see. But, um, but I, you know, I, I, I'm all for the emergence of cool new things that keep people engaged, and mm. whether that's a restaurant or a, or a, I don't know, a new supermarket. <laughs> um, and I use that example because of Tex Edwards and all of the regulatory stuff yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. didn't quite make it. Um, so whether it's the sharp end of town or just, you know, dining out, People's, people's um, decision-making is influenced by, it's not done in a vacuum, is what I'm trying to say, and often PR is right at the heart of that. So, so if you had to finish this conversation with a single piece of advice um, to help people get to the heart of that discussion, if you had to give advice to, to a client, somebody inside a business who was getting involved in PR, what advice would you give them? Commit to it long term. The analogy we use with uh, earned media outputs. Mm. Uh, let's say I take a brief from you. We've decided what the cool thing is that we have to say and then we try to make it happen. And we do make it happen and we get something really impactful that the client goes, yeah, thanks, it's really on brand, it's perfect, it's what I was after. That's good, but it, it won't really mean anything unless you follow it up with something shortly thereafter or are trying to build uh, momentum over time. So, and, and that comes back to the comments that um, I made earlier about long-standing working relationships with people. We've got a body of work, you're always chipping away at it. The best PR people, the best 
brands and businesses that use PR use it in an always-on capacity. Mm. And they do that because it's done in conjunction with lots of other things that mean the service, the product is, is visible and it's in the right places at the right time, doing the right things, saying the right things. So yeah, PR can be uh, a useful discipline, but it can often just be brought in at the last minute or for a, for a short-term window. My suggestion would be that you use it as best you can over the longest period of time that you can. Which can often be a challenge in businesses where there are you know budgets set to sure. shorter time frames. So that, so so is that a friction that you you come it across? Is, yeah, and you know sometimes what you can say, you, you might approach that with the best of intention, but actually you run out of things to say, and there's no yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, having a firm on tap to do stuff when they can't do it. And, you know, if if you want me to, well, I had a conversation with a client just last week about that. We'd, we'd been working with them for six months. The six months had run its course. Actually, with that particular client, the mm. best thing for us to have done is what we did, which is go, do you know what? This has been awesome, but we're going to migrate off this to a project-based thing, mm-hmm. simply because we didn't have enough to say, yeah. despite the best will in the world. So, yes, there is a bit of a tension, but I think we can all be grown-ups and adult about it, and when it might have run its course, you pause and press hold or have a hiatus and then pick up the conversation when you do have something to say. Bloody great. Kelly, thanks for today's discussion. It's been really helpful. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. Thanks to our friends at 40 Thieves Nut Butters, listeners to the podcast can get a 20% discount when purchasing online. Just go to 40thieves.co.nz and use the promo code INSIDER20. See you next time.